0: in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon.
1: Good morning, everybody. I'm Mike. I'm going to do your scripture reading this morning. You can follow along at the screen. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Just then, a Canaanite woman from the region came out, started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. I read for you um, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28 of Matthew. May the Lord have a blessing in the reading of his word.
0: Good morning. Applause for scripture, especially weird, strange scripture is always needed and recommended. Uh, (laughs) My name is Erin James Brown. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I currently serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. I'm so glad that you are here. It takes all of us showing up. It takes strong lady people setting up this beautiful screen behind us. It takes people testifying and reading scripture to make church happen. So thank you for being here and making this a real thing. Will you pray with me? God of the sick, of the sick of being sick and the hurting and the hurt and the outcast, God, your arms reach out to embrace to heal and restore all those who call upon you. Teach us, God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to so love this world so that your name may be known throughout the earth. It is, the name of, it is in the name of our brother and friend Jesus that we pray, amen. So Jesus, I don't know if you've heard of him, kind of a big deal, the new Moses, the teacher of teachers, the rabbi of rabbis, Jesus, Emmanuel, the God with us. He is the one who walks on water, feeds the thousands, heals the sick. This Jesus can do all the things and he seems to miss an easy opportunity. Is this me? (laughs) He seems to miss an easy opportunity for a quick and easy demon exorcism and then get the heck out of there. But instead... He sets up boundaries. I'm going to (laughs) switch. Yeah. Instead, Jesus sets up boundaries, shuts down a woman full of hysterics, and moves along his merry way. This Canaanite woman, or some call her the Syrophoenician woman because of the area of Western Asia where she is from, this Canaanite woman approaches Jesus. She saw him and his crew marching along the road, flocked by women and men searching and healing, and she doesn't just crawl her way forward. Instead, she begins at the back of the crowd hollering, hey, hey, Jesus. And while it is really easy to make a caricature of this woman, and it might seem easy to dismiss her as an emo- emotionally shooketh individual, <laughs> make no mistake, brothers and sisters and gender nonconforming siblings, an angry, grieving woman is one of the most powerful forces in this world. Her daughter suffers from a demon. Often the depictions of demons let's like, Let's take a time out. Often the uh, demons can distract us from what the character of the story actually represents. The story is not about demon possession, but about a family that has been put out and pushed out because of their daughter's incurable disease. So this mother has worked hard her whole life to pay medical bills that have led to no conclusion. Physicians and medicine people and mystics and snake oil salesmen have rolled their eyes at this woman's fear. Those in authority with medical training and those without have, taken, have not taken her concerns seriously and have dismissed her concerns for her daughter who continues to suffer. And at the end of her wits, this mother seems Jesus stomping down the road. She's done all the things. She's Googled all the things and WebMD'd all the things. And we know that's not helpful, but she is at the end of her rope. She's been turned away too many times. In her late-night panic calls when things seem the worse, and so feeling a little bit reckless and a little bit hopeless but still urgent, she pursues this one she has heard can heal, and she no longer feels shame. A, A grieving mother knows no shame but can plead her case because she has pleaded it so often before. This is the only way she knows to be heard and noticed and received, to receive care for her family who so desperately needs it. And so she does yell. She is persistent, pushing her way to the front of the crowd. And the male disciples, they just roll their eyes at her play acting and her performance of victimhood. And they disregard her remarks as ramblings of an overly emotional woman. And oh brother. Jesus does not do much better. Instead, he mansplains to this woman with a sick, about her sick child with a riddle. And according to Matthew's Gospel, Jesus came to teach the Jews about God's power to use the poor, to care for the unnoticed, and to reinterpret God's law to include the most disenfranchised. That's why Matthew's Gospel begins with this boring genealogy. Have you ever read it? No, you haven't, because it's boring. It's this laundry list of the most questionable and disrespectful people who are related to and contributing to the life of Jesus, the God with us. This list includes women, women of ill repute, people of morally questionable character. So Matthew's gospel from the very beginning is to remind Jewish people that their God has always found value in those seemingly unvaluable folks. So it's weird. Then that Jesus forgets his message and snaps back at this non Jewish woman. Today we're continuing, we're concluding our last sermon in a sermon series entitled, The Bible Doesn't Tell Me So. So, over the last five weeks, we've unpacked weird biblical facts or things that are totally not true and not found in the Bible, like cleanliness is next to godliness. Is that in the Bible? No, you know who said it? John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, loved to scrub himself clean and keep methods going. But that's not in the Bible. We're also unpacking weird, strange passages that cause us great concern or cause us to scratch our heads. And so this passage today is one of those latter. At Urban Village Church, every Sunday morning, we claim, you heard Jalen say it, we are inclusive But our church, our God in flesh this morning, seems really exclusive. Rather, Jesus is decidedly exclusionary about who he is called to heal. So what does it mean to be an inclusive church with an exclusionary God? So I'm going to give you a brief history lesson. When Urban Village Church was founded back in a million years ago, it feels like, but actually it was just eight, It was founded by these two white bros, and I use bro with the most deep affection. I'm married to a super bro. So these two white bros found themselves with a bunch of money from their church bosses and this seed of an idea, create a church that does what it says, actively invite people to experience God in the city and celebrate, celebrate LGBTQ inclusion. Don't just hang out a rainbow flag, but party with it. This seed of an idea, and these hustler bros, remember bro with the most deep affection, these hustler bros worked their buns off to invite folks to experience this active God, the one they believed who was not done working in this city, and they wanted to proclaim loud and proud that God loves LGBTQ folks and celebrates that love is love is love because God is love. And so these super- Bro-y, punchy dudes grabbed this language of bold, inclusive, and relevant because they thought it might catch the eye of young folks to get people to stop and wonder, huh, can a church be bold? A faith community can include rather than exclude? Oh, no, that's a lie because church is totally Irrelevant. And so these words became the ethos of Urban Village Church as we expanded from the Loop to Wicker Park up to Edgewater. And then it like cruised all the way down Lakeshore Drive into into Hyde Park Woodlawn, 60th and Dorchester. And that word, inclusive, is a hopeful aspiration. But it still causes some of us to cock our heads and wonder with doubt. Am I included? Are we really inclusive? So Urban Village Church exists to, just kidding, you don't have to finish that sentence, you already did it this morning, but it also exists to create community for queer folks, those committed to working for justice, including rooting out racism within ourselves and within our church. And this kind of inclusion, which is really radical, which we truly believe God has called us to, is actually not really inclusive of all folks. It's decidedly so. I don't know if you know this, but I receive emails throughout the week, way too many to respond to. I owe several of you many emails, but some of the emails I receive are talking about how my sermons are way too political, and I talk about way too many things, and I talk way too fast, and we take too much of a stand on certain issues. And I do this all because, one, that's just who I am. I care passionately and deeply, and I will never stop talking fast, no matter what you say. But (laughs) we also believe that Jesus was very political. His life of baptizing all the poor and the sick and those who were ugly and those who were rich, he said all were equal in these waters of baptisms, and that was a political act and serving communion to all folks present. Jesus did this to those who hated him, those who would reject him, and those who loved him. And so when we do this here at Urban Village Church, we do it not for those who went through confirmation, not those who went through a class who vetted them to know that they know what we mean when we break the bread and share of the cup. No, we say this cup and this bread are for all of yous. And that is a decidedly political act. So there are plenty of faith communities out there that don't support queer congregants. And there are many faith communities out there that are on their journey to loving and fully celebrating queer congregants, but they still need to have a church vote so they aren't fully open yet. So there are lots of places where people on their journey can find a home. But what we've decided here at Urban Village Church is we've decided We love queer people, their bodies and their lives are beloved by God and so we beloved all of us here. But I have to warn you, justice is a slippery slope. Inclusion is a slippery slope. Once you start working towards inclusion and justice in your life, there are more and more places you will feel more challenged to be inclusive. For example, here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, We have a fully accessible building and folks of different bodily abilities can move around in this space and that is to be celebrated. But here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, we are not totally transgender inclusive. Instead of having labels on our bathroom doors out here on the side over here that clearly state, anybody can go in here and do number one, number two, number six, it doesn't matter. There are still labels on these doors that cause people to wonder, will they be kicked out of this public restroom? Will they be attacked? Or will they be given the side eye? And while I don't think any of you would do that, there's still that question if that label doesn't exist on the door. And that's just one example. There are undocumented siblings and formerly incarcerated people and battered and beaten by religious leaders in the past who are sitting in our chairs, leaning forward a little bit more Wondering if there will be a slip, trying to catch if they, if a signal to see if they are unsafe. That's why inclusion and this word can be a difficult one to wrestle with. It's one we're constantly being pushed and pushed on and pushed towards. We are a community that welcomes all and actively tries to welcome folks who might not feel welcomed among us that mostly we are welcoming to those who were used and abused and traumatized and disenchanted by church in the past. So inclusion is, yes, a simple word that continues to challenge us to seek where God is moving and calling us to open our arms of embrace even wider and to restore justice for all and find belovedness in all. But, oh, Jesus, what the heaven is Jesus doing in this passage? Because he dismisses this shouting woman. And maybe to his credit, he's like singularly focused. He does this Ron Swanson type of thing. Do you know Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation, yours and mine favorite TV show? Ron Swanson says, never half acts two things, but whole acts one thing. And maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Whole acting one thing. And that's why he leaves the sick mother out. She is silenced by the disciples, pushed aside by Jesus, this unmovable God. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we also learn to read in between the lines and look for the other followers in the story. And this woman does not despair because this is not her first rodeo. This is not the first time she's been rejected. Actually, she has learned what it means to stand up and scream for and demand justice. For her, the woman has spent all of her money searching for cures for her defenseless babe. This woman has spent her late nights staring over the bedside and early mornings wringing her hands, hoping for a fever to break, a breakthrough, a helpful lead to a solution for her daughter's illness. So this woman gives zero forks, and with the fierceness of the parent, she does not back down. She demands to be included in a miracle. And so our immovable God is moved. Our unchangeable God changes God's mind. Because this woman demands Jesus stop the parade, stop this charade of justice, and really serve the hurting, the poor in spirit, and the little hope left, but an urgent need of something to hope for. And so she reminds us that not all will be included. Even the most aspirational Jesus-loving spaces will still have to push and be pushed. And so she acts as a vanguard for us to follow. People will try to shut you up, but you keep shouting. The God of might might fail to listen. And that means we keep shouting and protesting and praying and calling. So don't be seduced by hopelessness or fall asleep. Reckless demand of hope and healing, of justice for all, is what we are called to. And that is why our immovable God is moved. That's also why faith leaders and fellow citizens of, our Chicago, of Chicago stood outside the courthouse on 26th and California for a week. They went not, not re- thinking they had ability to affect the outcome of the trial of Laquan McDonald, but they were to, there to pray and demand that no matter what the outcome was that God's justice would be provided because justice had not been provided to Laquan and his family. That's why citizens, US citizens called their senators for the last like, felt like two years and stood outside offices and stopped elevators because praying for justice wasn't just enough. Praying for inclusion was not loud enough. So sometimes our prayer and our activity pushes others and pushes our God to hear and listen and move through the people and systems around us. Sometimes it takes a lifetime of prayer and activity to work to get folks included in the way God dreams of it. And so what we learn from Jesus is to be open towards compassion and moving. But what we learn from this woman is to be open to the power of our voice and persistent prayer and persistent shouting. Because It takes a lifetime and generations of persistence to make change happen. Like Rosa Parks, we are not just tired and looking for a seat on the bus, but we have worked our whole dang lives working for rape crisis victims and working for justice of underrepresented communities. Like the Women of Seneca Falls Convention in 1849, we demand for the rights of all voices to be heard even when there are distractions in our way we will work for generations even if it takes 100 years to make sure that women and not just white women but all female identified transgender and gender nonconforming folks share the right to vote in local and federal elections because having a voice is how and having a voice over how you are governed matters so yes, we serve an powerful, great God who is able to listen and hear. We serve a powerful and great God who uses our collective voice and collective action and our earnestness and our seemingly aggressive, overly joyful welcome to continue pressing and pushing that moral arc of the universe until God's justice, the justice that even Jesus, the God with us needs reminding of and demanding from sometimes. And so, church, will you pray with me? And we're going to do something a little weird. I invite you to use your body in this prayer. Maybe you have really excellent lipstick on this morning. Maybe you have like kind of shady lipstick on like I do. But whatever you do, you want to place your hands over your mouth. This is a posture of bringing our body and our mouths and our voices to God. And I invite you, church, to either flutter your eyes closed or find a spot in order to rest your attention. We are offering up ourselves. God, make us instruments of your justice. Give us clear voices to speak up. Give us lips that do not tire, but continue to be stretched. When others try to shut us up and prevent us from reaching your ears, give us no shame, God, to demand your hope for this world. And so, friends, I invite you to take your hands and place them over your heart. This is a posture of devotion. Because we believe, God, that you, are so powerful and also can be moved to compassion, are so empathetic and not filled with apathy. We are yours, God. We are your people. We are yours. We are yours. We are yours.
1: It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.